we're going to get some really great ideas and we're going to get to a place where, okay, so like by next year, we're no longer going to feel like in danger of being behind the curve. Hey, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Content Briefly. Today, we're talking to Emily Triplett-Lentz. She's the Senior Manager of Content Marketing at Calendly. Everyone knows Calendly, really the first scheduling tool out there. It's now grown. They have over 600 employees, which I thought was really impressive. And obviously, we talk about that. We talk about how she balances a, a PLG motion with a sales-led motion. They have both currently up and running. We talk, too, about how she's verticalized content to help reach personas in different industries. And we talk about her team's recent AI hackathon, where each person of their content team spent time researching AI, trying to understand how it might benefit the content marketing team, and then how they're bringing all that back and thinking through where AI fits in their 2024 plans. Really good conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I think you will too. Riverside is best known as a podcasting tool, and it's great at that. I use it to record content briefly. In fact, I'm using it right now, and it has a few features that I really love. First, it's a real studio, not just a video conference. I get much higher quality video and audio than I would from Zoom, and then I can just give my producer access to my Riverside account so I don't have to upload and download giant files. It also gives me a bunch of really awesome post-production features, like Magic Clips, where it finds the best moments in each episode so I can put them on social. It also has transcripts, captions, and a text-based video editor. Okay, but the really cool thing about being a Riverside customer is that it's useful for other things too. So for example, Riverside is the best place to do customer research or conduct any type of interview. All the features that make it a great podcast tool also make it great for any type of recording. Things like easy cloud storage, highlights, transcripts, magic clips. If you record in Zoom, you have to do all of that somewhere else. Plus the quality is much better and it works in the browser rather than a desktop app. I've even used Riverside to run live events like our Google Analytics 4 workshop we did earlier this year with Ryan Lavander. There are multiple roles like host, guest, and audience member, which means you can run a live webinar or presentation with live chat, screen sharing, and even media like transitions and music. And one feature that I really love is scripts, which lets me read a script just like I would a teleprompter, which is exactly what I'm doing right now. Riverside is one of those premium tools that I used to think was a luxury, but now I can't live without. And once you're up and running, you'll keep finding more use cases for it. For freelancers, it's perfect for interviews and presentations. For teams, it's ideal for customer research, presentations, workshops, creating social clips, and more. You can learn more at riverside.fm. Try the free plan if you want to kick the tires and use code superpath for an exclusive discount and a huge thanks to Riverside for their support of this podcast. Hey everybody, Jimmy from Superpath here today with another episode of Content Briefly. Today we have Emily Triplett-Lentz, content legend. I was just looking at your LinkedIn, Emily. Your resume is really cool. I will first ask you to introduce yourself, but could you also talk a little bit about that too, like just the arc of your career to date? Yeah, or put another way, I have been a B2B SaaS content marketer for way too long. Yeah, I started out more as a journalist slash comms person and then did just a variety of editorial work until I moved into SaaS. So started out doing CX at 37 Signals which became Basecamp and is now 37 Singles again. Then I took a content marketing role at Help Scout. So that's, I worked with Greg Ciotti for a while, who you just interviewed on the podcast as well. Then I moved to Loom, where I built and ran the content team there. And now I've been at Calendly for the past two plus years, just growing the content team in here, which has been a lot of fun because the company has scaled a lot. So has the marketing team. And that's just been a uh, wild ride to be on. Yeah, that's awesome. Calendly is surprisingly large, right? Yeah, I want to say like 600-ish now. Oh, wow, that is 
that's even larger than I thought. The reason I say surprisingly is just because I think of Calendly as a startup, but it's not brand new any longer. It's now like a proper no, no, enterprise no. tool. Yeah, yeah, it's been around since 2013. Founded in Atlanta by our CEO, Topa Batona. And initially, like, it was just created to solve the annoying problem of going back and forth to try to find a time to to meet. So instead, you send someone your Calendly link, they book time on your calendar, it makes it really easy. And a lot of people still think of Calendly as just a scheduling link. Of course, it's evolved quite a bit. And now it's grown into an entire scheduling automation platform that makes it really easy for whole teams to schedule and, and automate meetings like especially teams that have a lot of external meetings so sales teams customer success recruiting teams marketing teams and then whole industries education and financial services stuff like that you know literally this morning i was on policy genius looking at a an insurance plan and i like filled out the little form and two minutes later they sent me a calendar link to like book time to talk with somebody yeah yeah like serendipitous haven't heard about only when I tell them what it they're like oh yeah I've seen that yeah yeah totally can you talk about the content marketing perspective here because Calendly maybe a lot of folks think of it as like a freemium SaaS tool lots of individuals use it but that's not where the money's made right like it's these larger b2b plans where you're selling into teams and also now like selling into multiple industries I assume that's where the content kind of does the heavy lifting. Is that right? We actually straddle both. We do have a lot of like onesie twosie accounts using solopreneurs, et cetera, like using Calendly to automate their scheduling. So there's a ton of like product-led growth that the content team supports in that. And then of course, also like the sales-led side and selling to enterprise and that kind of thing. And what, which side we're supporting, it can be on a pendulum a little bit, depending on the needs of the business at the time. And it's, it's changed a lot even since I started. I think I was marketing team member number nine when I started, and now we're like 60 plus. Oh, wow. Yeah. Our, our strategy has shifted just, I want to say even quarterly as we've scaled. Yeah. Got it. That makes sense. Could you talk a little bit about the content operation? What does the team look like? And if you're able to this might be a difficult question, but if you're able to like sum up your current content strategy in a sentence or two, like how would you describe it? Yeah, the first part's easier. I'll say like content sits within like the corporate marketing branch of the marketing team alongside creative, comms, uh, events, and international marketing. And we have six full-time employees on the content team, and then we rely on contractors as well. So there's myself, there's a couple content marketing managers, one who focuses more on like long form writing and editing and one who began as a writer, but is moving into more of a hybrid content ops role. We have a senior copywriter, a senior video marketer, and a senior social media manager who is also moving into co-owning influencer marketing with I the cool. That's, that's very interesting. That's my team. Cool. I'll probably have a couple follow-up questions about that. <laughs> uh, but would love to would love to also talk about the harder of the yeah. two questions, which is the content strategy piece. The strategy, I can tell you what we used to do. And I can tell you what we've been doing. You've caught me at a moment where like probably like a lot of content teams right now, we are reassessing everything. Like yes. everything. 
We're, literally every team I talk to is experiencing that right now. Yeah. Yeah. We're in exact same boat. What's working, what's not working. If we were to create space in our day by automating something or outsourcing something or just not doing something anymore or enabling another team to self-serve that we've historically served. And like, if we could create this space, what could we then turn around and focus on and experiment with and explore and see if it makes a bigger impact on the business? Because, yeah, we're all just amidst this like seismic shift right now. The old playbooks, the stuff that served us well 10 years ago, even two years ago, like that stuff is a straight up not working. And like the continued surefiredness of those tactics is like at the very least up for debate. Yeah. I think 2024 is going to be an awesome year for content marketers. And I think we're going to see, yeah, everyone is rethinking stuff. I think a lot of teams are going to come up with some really cool content, new concepts, new formats, new mediums, whatever. I think we're going to see a lot of really cool stuff that we haven't seen before. And for all the challenges of 2023, there is this silver lining where at least for content teams, you get to look at everything you do and be like, should we do this anymore? Is there some stuff that we can just drop because we don't really need it and we just did it out of habit or it was like hard to let go of and now you're free to start over if you want to or really take a hard look at what does work and double down or does it happen that often? And like, even though it happened for some reasons that created a lot of other stress and challenges for a lot of people, I guess that's why it's called a silver lining. It's not like a, it's not perfect, but it, I would imagine it probably helps a lot. So it sounds like Calendly has experienced that kind of like taking a hard look at content and starting to rethink 2024. Yeah, yeah, very much. I mean, I think, you know, these times are just calling for us to look, to take a really hard, critical look at all the stuff we're producing and the, and, and our distribution strategies and just give ourselves permission to step off the treadmills that we've been on and say, okay, if I stop doing that, how bad would it really be? Because then I can go over here and really figure out like what, all right, what's the like really creator driven, like human person first, like channel specific distribution strategy? What's that look like? And then go figure that out and execute on that versus just like continuing to update all of the listicles on the blog that are like falling in the SERP. And I'm human. I have a little bit of an SEO background and I see it fall and I'm just like, oh, I know exactly what to do to fix that. But and that's the temptation. But is that really where like my team's time is best spent? This is not at all. I, I still believe in it very much. It, I think it will always be a part of the strategy. But I do think like we're in a moment where it's time to give other initiatives a bigger piece of the pie. Yeah, definitely. It's an interesting thing about the emergence of AI and chat GPT is I think it's pushing, like that has been the driving force, pushing SEO kind of down the priority list for content marketers. In what started as like a sort of terrifying experience and now is starting to look like, oh, you mean I don't have to churn out all this content anymore? Or like, maybe you do, maybe we will. Maybe a year from now I'll be like, oh, it turns out we did need to do that. I don't know. But it does open the door, like you said, for some more creative stuff, which actually leads me to a follow-up question I wanted to ask you, which is about having a video person and a social person on your mm -hmm. team. Could you talk a little bit about their roles? Because I'm finding in talking to a lot of content teams, 
Very few of them have in-house video folks and maybe a handful have social folks. But I'd just be curious, like, what is a kind of a day in their lives look like? Yeah, without exception, every single person on my team, because of the stuff we've just <laughs> addressed, is like looking at their role and reassessing what they're doing. Sure. So like our social media person, like on the one hand, yes, she is there monitoring social, responding to customers, keeping the lights on, net, creating content for Calendly's accounts. But she's now in this new era, she's also like working with the video marketer to determine what that creator-led distribution strategy looks like in, in 2024. And she's working with comms and demand gen on like influencer marketing and employer, excuse me, employee advocacy. Yeah, she and like everyone on our team do still have to balance the functions of being like the service org and the strategy org. But the work they're doing like in this age is shifting quite a bit. Same with our video marketer. She used to be primarily just like a video production person. And any marketing videos that Calendly produced would go through her and she would make. The, and now she's being called upon to be more of like a video marketing strategist and developed that co-develop that like creator strategy with our social person and all kinds of interesting strategy work that she hasn't gotten to get her hands dirty with yet just because the volume of videos that that we produce is so high but what can we outsource to AI and there's just like a lot of things that can change now so we're all reassessing that. Got it. Just a quick follow-up about the video piece and kind of the volume of video that Calendly creates. Is it primarily stuff for social or does that also include things like tutorials and onboarding and help docs and stuff like that. Yeah, it's like she creates a lot of different kinds of videos, brand videos, product launch videos, like introducing a new feature and those get distributed in lots of different kinds of channels, social, email, our own site, YouTube, etc. It depends on the it depends on the campaign, but yeah, she's like the person at Calendly who handles video. And we've, we've even had to like train other teams and enable other teams to create high quality videos because we obviously she can't do everything. She can't be creating every single like how to video that lives in the help center and yeah, stuff like that. So, yeah. Got it. Very cool. I'm very excited for video and audio in particular next year. And there's another thing you mentioned I wanted to ask you about, which was creator-led distribution. When you say that, do you mean Calendly, like tapping into some of the tactics that creators use in building their own audiences and distributing their content? Or do you mean employing or relying on creators slash influencers to do some of that work for you? More of the latter. I think just like moving away from the classic playbook of as Calendly, we tweet X times per day and we post a LinkedIn like yeah. as Cal because like just the value of doing that is it's just that's one of the playbooks that's not working anymore. And so we've got to lean into, yes, influencer marketing, but also leveraging our own team to talk about Calendly across their social channels and like what happens when we put our own people and influencers in the industry in front of the camera and have them talking about Calendly on our behalf in a way that we just get results that we wouldn't get in a way if we were trying to spread that message ourselves. So that's what I For sure. Yeah, that's really cool. And I'll be curious to know, maybe we can check in a year from now, kind of how that goes, because I've 
I sense that there's interest and hesitation. Like a lot of companies, obviously they realize like, if you let the individuals do it, you probably get better results. But like, how do you operationalize? Yeah. Do people want that? Should a company invest in people's personal brands or not? What happens to the followers if they go with the individuals? Like all that type of stuff. I feel like there's a lot of questions there, but I think it's the smart thing to do. And I feel like it'd be cur- I'd be interested to follow up on it later on and see how all that. Yeah. Yeah. It is really thorny. And I, it's, it doesn't look as much like a program with a bullet list of line items underneath it as just a mind map. Like we've got influencer marketing over here and we've got employee advocacy over here and we've got our YouTube channel and we've got, are we going to start leveraging TikTok more? And like, it's, that's why I've tasked these folks with coming up with a strategy. How are we going to operationalize this? where we in the past we've dabbled here and there and we've seen good results and we want to continue to go further down that road, but we do need a cohesive strategy before we go further, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. That makes sense. How verticalized is Calendly's content? Meaning you want to reach people in education. Do you create, do you kind of sprint through a kind of a burst of content creation for that specific industry and the personas associated with it and then rinse and repeat for different or do you basically sell that same feature set across the board without taking that extra step of verticalizing? Yeah, we are very verticalized and we have a talented solutions marketing team that sits with product marketing. So not on content, but those folks are creating like massive amounts of like sales enablement content specific to certain ICPs. So yeah, we do like I I run a meeting once a month with all the content creators across the marketing team because just because like you're not on the content team doesn't mean you're not creating content. So like I said, we have the solutions marketing team, we have a fabulous webinar team, we have the lifecycle team, the comms team, all of these folks are creating massive amounts of content. So it's really helpful for us to come together as a group and brainstorm and look at how did this thing that we shipped last month actually perform? And what do you have planned next month? What do you have planned next month? And avoid duplication that way and just find opportunities for cross-pollination. Because it doesn't make sense for everyone who creates content to live on the content team, but we still have to enable everyone on marketing to create content that's aligned with our overall goals and strategy. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool, actually. And I feel like that's relatively new that not everyone who creates content is on the content team. (laughs) Yeah. Not new like yesterday, but new over the past couple of years, I guess, where like marketing in general has evolved or come to the realization that lots of marketing is actually content marketing and there's different ways and different skill sets and different objectives and da da da. But the organizational stuff is fairly challenging, actually. And so having that meeting sounds like an excellent step and keeping it reorganized. I'd be curious too, is there like a central or centralized kind of Q&A? Sorry, say that again. Is there a centralized QA process that everything runs through to make sure it's adhered with like brand guidelines and things like that do? No, I will say each team that's responsible, that like each channel owner has their processes and their checks and balances that they will run a piece of content through. And a lot of times it does come through the content team. And like those meetings, it's also on the content team to enable the rest of the marketing team to create really high quality, really aligned content. And we have some incredible, super talented folks on the marketing team, but you still have to give them a really good style guide to work from. You still And you still have to like 
training folks on what we mean when we say like human speak versus marketing speak in our voice and tone guidelines and whatnot. So that's something that like our team has been responsible for. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Any tools in your stack that you find to be particularly useful in terms of, I don't know, all content things, the project management piece of it, the editorial calendar piece of it, keeping team, keeping individuals across teams on the same page, like anything in there that you found to be especially helpful? Yeah, we're a fully remote team. So we're in Slack a lot, but we also manage everything in Asana, which is hugely helpful. And the whole marketing team uses Asana. So that's really because I've been on teams where that's not the tool of record for everybody. And it's just really nice that like we have dedicated PMs and they're using Asana and their systematizing how we all use it as a team. But I've used, I, I feel like I could use any project management tool for an editorial calendar or whatever. It's just a matter of what is your company using. But I was really happy when I arrived at Calendly and they already had an Asana account in place. Yeah, Asana, Asana is really nice. And using it in a structured way across the entire organization actually sounds like a beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it is for sure. How do you think about content that gets created in-house versus externally? Because I think you mentioned earlier that you do occasionally rely on contractors, agencies, et cetera. Like in your mind, is there like a clear split on the type of content that you might create in-house first externally? Or is it just a matter of if there's overflow, you'll bring in external help? Yeah, a lot of our content, just because of like the the massive like PLG origin of Calendly as a company is very product focused. So if we have product heavy content, we try to keep that in house. And anything that's a little more top of funnel or say a, an ebook that can be you can interview SMEs but create as a generalist that's the kind of thing that that we would outsource and then our video marketer does work with an agency or two to they're all set up with our brand and our product guidelines and she has them working on certain videos or production stuff as well got it that makes sense I have a whole list of other stuff I'm just yeah. going to run through if that's cool because there's so much to cover here. Another thing I wanted to check in with you about was data points. Are there a handful of metrics and maybe historically metrics that you've cared a lot about realizing that potentially is up for debate heading into 2024? Yeah, I mean, our metrics change, like I was saying, quarter to quarter. And Calendly has gotten really good at determining what our overall goals as a company should be. So like marketing very much ladders up to those and content ladders up to those. And I can't be super specific about what those are. I will say that whatever the objective is, we try to write a key result that serves that objective in a measurable way. So like I was saying, say we were going to run an experiment with increasing the blog's efficiency that might be in service of a bigger goal like driving more signups or passing more mqls along to sales or whatever it is that quarter or half and we might try to drive x percent more form fills from the blog to gated content like period over period but that makes it sound like it's about demand gen all the time <laughs> but it's also about like supporting adoption and activation and monetization and also, some more difficult to measure efforts like brand awareness. So it runs the whole gamut. Got it. 
That actually makes me think of another thing I want to ask you about, which is product marketing. Whenever I hear PLG, I immediately think product marketing. Because not always, but oftentimes products with a free trial or a freemium version, it's not that the hard part isn't getting people to use the free one. The hard part is getting people to mm -hmm. use the paid thing. Yeah, like oftentimes that's where product marketing comes in. But because you have this PLG motion and then probably running in parallel and probably with some overlap, a, a sales-led motion too, where does product marketing fit in and how much do you work with product marketing? Yeah, we have a super talented product marketing team and they also have to split between those two motions. But they determine based on our product roadmap, that sort of determines like the themes of our campaigns for the coming months. And then we collaborate really closely with the product marketing team, which is where solutions marketing also sits to figure out, okay, what are the assets that we're going to need or we're going to need to update for this particular campaign as we bring a new feature to market or whatever the case may be. Yeah, got it. Got it. That makes sense. Really cool. There's a How I Built uh -huh. This episode about talent yes. from a couple of years yeah. ago. It's really worth listening to. <laughs> it was actually because... sent to me in a recruiting email that was like, go listen to this interview. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Hey, why not? It's a good podcast. And you don't always get SaaS companies on there. Usually it's from other industries. So it's cool to hear Guy Raz take you through these founding business stories when it's a SaaS company, because usually it's not. So go check that out. How often do you talk with everyone? Is there a weekly cadence? You mentioned a monthly meeting with kind of anyone who creates content, even if they're not on your team, even if it's in broad strokes, it would be interesting to know like how you all. Yeah. It's so like I said, we're remote. We manage everything in Asana. We're in Slack a lot. I meet weekly with each of my team members one-on-one -on -one, and we use small improvements for the agenda. So either of us can add talking points to it and Sometimes the folks on my team will want to use that time to talk through like their projects or processes, which is totally fine. But I also try to reserve time to think about the big picture and have ongoing career conversations and performance feedback and workload balancing and that kind of thing. And then we also meet weekly. We have a weekly 30-minute team meeting and we rotate hosts and we track the agenda in Asana so anyone can add items to the agenda, but it's mostly just like a time for us to connect and go through our goals, discuss projects, process, strategy, any blockers, what have you. Got it. Small improvements, is that an app you use or is mm -hmm. that like a method? Yeah, it's a tool. Oh, interesting. I haven't come across that. Does it fall into the same category as like a 15.5? And Cali uses it company-wide. It's our tool of record for like performance conversations in total. So all of our performance feedback is recorded in small improvements. Got it. That's cool. I like that. I have to check that out. Do you ever run into the problem of what content should we create? Or is it constantly an issue of like, there's too much demand for net new and part of our job is to sort out what's a high priority rather than coming up with stuff from scratch? Yeah, I will say that having the guidelines of these are our OKRs for this quarter really does help us have those kinds of conversations with our team where they're like, wouldn't it be cool if we could have a blog post about the and you're like, yes, it would. And unfortunately, we don't have the bandwidth for that this quarter, like we can stick a pin in that. But it's just really nice to have those guardrails there to help drive. All right, these are the campaigns. This is what we're doing. This is what we're supporting. And then anything like strategy wise that my team wants to do, it's also 
it's not out of left field. It's also, and this supports this like PLG campaign that we're running is because we're updating these kinds of pieces of content, et cetera. So yeah, I will, I don't have to have a ton of like uncomfortable, we can't do that kinds of conversations because everybody knows what the goals are. Got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. There's something that happens in companies. I don't know exactly like what stage of the life cycle this happens, but content shifts from purely net new. Let's get people on the website to this more mature stage where it's partially net new and partially maintenance, I guess you'll call it, or like hygiene where, you know, you every now and then you do a content audit and you refresh old posts and maybe you prune some. Does that type of thing fall under your purview as well? Whereas like maybe in some companies, it's an SEO team that's separate from content that deals with that. Thing. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we're the only ones really looking at or caring about that stuff. And I would say like no one is specifically like breathing down my neck, asking me to run an audit or update old pieces of content. So if and when we do that, it's often because we'll be looking into something else and we'll just be like, oh my gosh, these pieces have been sitting there for four years and they haven't been touched and the product doesn't even look like that anymore and we need to do something about it. And so we'll spin yeah. a project for ourselves to take care of it. Yeah, yeah, cool. I find that stuff to be really interesting and actually fun to work on. And the only company I've ever worked at that was large enough to really have this issue, the issue in this case being like, should we do net new content or should we do maintenance? Because we don't actually know which one will help us more. And it was at this as a QuickBooks when I worked there. And we actually stopped producing net new content for a little while to run an audit. And the results of the audit were a bunch of cleaning up and pruning some content. And we were able to almost double traffic without creating anything new. But that only happens when the site is of a certain size. And it seems like the importance of that grows and grows as the company and kind of the content footprint also grow. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely gotten to that point here at Calnet where it's just, do we actually need anything new? And we're like, you know what? Actually, let's just look at what we do have and let's try to do a better job incorporating our existing content into campaigns. And if it does need to be updated, like, great, let's update it. But let's definitely not continue creating new content, especially for the sake of creating content. Like we, we don't, Yeah, that is a treadmill we do not want to be on. Unfortunately, yeah. we have full leadership support for that as well. But I think it can be hard to get off that particular treadmill. If you're, if you're a content creator, if you're a blog writer, everything looks like a blog post to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel that for sure. Have there been any pieces of content that your team has created that have performed really well, or maybe they surprised you in terms of how well they performed? Yeah. So we just recently produced a state of scheduling report. We just shipped that a little over a month ago in, in November. And it blew past every goal we had for ourselves in, in terms of like how many visits, how many downloads, social engagement, et cetera, like just across the board. And it was like a great piece of content based on an actual survey that we ran with people about like, how are you feeling about your calendar and AI and how do you feel about productivity in general? And not just reporting and regurgitating that data, but actually like telling a story about it, about like people's sentiments. But the reason it did so well isn't because my team produced a great piece of content, which they did, but like it was that there was this concerted, super cross-functional team-wide effort that like lived with even an even larger like AI thought leadership campaign. So we had a PM driving the whole thing. We had 
you know, we had social, we had video, we had animated graphics, we had a beautiful landing page that like drove to a form that drove to more like AI waitlist signups. And we had follow-up nurtures and very rarely, I would say, does a piece of content that like outperforms all of your wildest expectations exist in a vacuum. Like, so we're very fortunate that we have just a very talented, very aligned team here and that we all have the same goals. Yeah. So not an accident. (laughs) Yeah. That's really cool. I'm looking at it right now. I would encourage, I always encourage folks, listen to the podcast, then go to the website and see what it all looks like. I feel like that's where you really gain some inspiration for your own content work, but this is really cool. We actually, we recently did a state of content report. Not that everyone needs to just go out and do a state of (laughs) X report. But the cool thing about it is, to me, at least in our case, the interesting thing was like, there's a lot of, I hear a lot. There's a lot of like anecdotal information that might float around in the Slack community or on social media about like the state of content marketing. So to be able to put data behind that, validate people's feelings, or in some cases, challenge things that I hear and say, actually, not everybody does feel that way. And it's really helpful just to give people a benchmark for how Mm -hmm. things are going. So I think that's something we'll probably continue. I did want to ask you about every now and then, it's so dumb, but I'll see on Twitter of people arguing about how rude it is to send a scheduling link. And then a bunch of other people say, that's insane. Like it saves so much time. Why wouldn't you send a scheduling link? Do you have, is that something y'all talk about internally? If you don't, oh, for sure. yeah. And by the way, like we love it when this debate surfaces like every few months or so, because our fans just come to our defense. Like they just jump on oh, nice. whoever's, I think it's rude. Like a bunch, you'll then see a bunch yeah. of Calvary users being like, are you kidding? It saves so much time. But yeah, we definitely <laughs> did create, we, we have a couple blog posts just about Calendly etiquette. We have an ebook. So like a gated piece of content about how to share your scheduling link politely. And then like a piece of content that I worked on after the last major kerfuffle, the like Calendly etiquette dust up happened was about how there's like this shift in perspective of like just how people view scheduling links over time and likening it to any new technology. Like how when text messaging was new, people were like, this is rude. I just want to call people on the phone. And now it's like nobody even picks up their yeah. phone. And that's what's happening right. here as well. It's just like taking a while for it yeah. to hit the mainstream. I can't even imagine going back and forth with someone over email about, does this time work? No. Oh, how about this time? It's, <laughs> it reminds me of like when in one of my first content jobs, we used Word docs and we would send Word docs around and then you would like lose track of what yeah. version it was. And it was like, what? yeah, this is crazy. So I, that's interesting. I actually feel, I'm, I feel a little self-conscious now that I sent you a scheduling link that wasn't Calendly. So <laughs> I apologize. I apologize for that. I'm a big Calendly fan. I've used it for a long time. Uh, no, no offense taken. I do find myself... I do find myself using scheduling links with some etiquette around it too. This is like getting way off course of content, obviously, but I might say something. If you see something convenient here, grab it. And if not, just let me know. That's the key. You You have to provide the context. You can't just be, here's my scheduling link, pick a time. Emily, it's hard to let you go without talking about AI. I'm like a little hesitant to bring it up just because that's been like the theme of the year and maybe there's some fatigue, but I am curious, like, where are you? Like, where are you on all this? And it's Calendly incorporating AI into any of its content right now? Yeah, for sure. I think my team is like post fatigue and like timing wise, this is a great question because we're actually in the middle this week of an AI summit on our content team, which was just 
like a way for us to very like consciously and deliberately set aside time to give ourselves space to learn and explore and play with some new concepts and tools. Like same thing, like company doing a hackathon or like an innovation week, but just specific to my team and AI tools. So like by the end of the week, we're each going to bring a couple potential tools slash use cases to the group and then we'll debate them and commit to implementing maybe two or three of them not all in on on everything but just like doing a really good job trying to bake a couple new tools or processes into our workflows so everybody's really been enjoying it and saying that it's great to just have the headspace to do something like this yeah you never get the headspace what a fantastic idea i feel like that's why a lot of innovation doesn't happen is because you can't yeah, try anything. they don't yeah. have quote unquote downtime and, right. and if they do they're not necessarily going to use it for personal development related to AI. It just hasn't been a mandate, but it should be for everyone out there. You're going to, you're probably going to get left behind. But yeah, we have a couple tools that we're already using, but we just really needed to get comfortable with this and get smarter about it and start defaulting to like thinking AI instead of just continuing to do what's comfortable or writing AI off, writing AI off like it's useless because a lot of a lot of tools in the content space are just like not where we want them to be yet. And so yeah. I think that's really easy to do. Like, why would I use this? I'm a professional. I can wait I can write way better stuff than this. And yes, like that's true, but could it help a product marketer write a first draft for a launch post based on the very detailed brief? that they've already put together and then could it edit that based on our style guide that we've uploaded like maybe maybe yeah. so then it comes to us for editing it's 80 percent of the way that yeah let's play with that let's see let's just let's see so we just like yeah i just put a whole curriculum together we watched a bunch of webinars we read a bunch of articles together we all played with a bunch of different tools and we are syncing every day this week for 30 minutes a day and just talking about what we've learned and then tomorrow last day we'll like I said, come together and just talk it all out and say, okay, these are the recommendations we're going to make for this team, for the marketing team. And these are the tools that we're going to invest in. And these are the processes that we're going to like, we're, this is where we're doubling down. Yeah. I love that. That's, I ask almost everyone about AI. <laughs> Seriously, because you're so right. You're so right. You have to take a break from the day-to-day -day work and go explore it to give your mind space. Yeah to think about. Yeah, we had done it a little bit here and there, like kind of ad hoc. Ooh, yeah, shoot, we really need to like figure this AI thing out. But like if there wasn't like that clear cut, nope, this is the assignment this week. This is the curriculum. I expect everyone to do this. And this is not extracurricular. This is not optional. This matters. This is important. And everyone has just responded really well to that. And I think actually like it's working. And by tomorrow, we're going to get some really great ideas and we're going to get to a place where, okay, so like by next year, we're no longer going to feel like in danger of being behind the curve. Yeah. That's awesome. Ellie, it's been so good to chat. You did an AMA, gosh, I don't know, a year ago, two years ago. Yeah. And so it's good to just check back in, see how things are going. Hope we can do it again in the future too. And it's just great to hear about all the cool stuff you're doing at Calendly. Really encourage people, go to Calendly's website, check it out. Product was great. Go check out the How I Built This episode and go look at the content too. Go look at the state of scheduling. Just just 
to see. Like that's, like I said, that's where I think a lot of the inspiration comes from. But where else can we send people to keep in touch with you? LinkedIn, Twitter, or, or any, anywhere else? Yeah, for sure. You can find me on LinkedIn. Twitter, I'm there, but not as active. These I'm still waiting to see where we all might be to next. <laughs> I hear that. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> okay, cool. Awesome. We'll be sure to link in the show notes to your LinkedIn and Calendar's website. Emily, thank you so much. Seriously, great to chat and talk to you soon. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. 